Today, I'm speaking with Lennart Heim. Lennart is a research fellow at the Center for the Governance of AI, where he focuses on compute governance in particular. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Lennart. Hey, thanks for having me. Is it possible to enforce compute regulations? Did, did you think it would be it would be practical to be able to restrain people from aggregating this amount of compute before they do it? Um, <laughs> open question. Let's put it this way. Um, I think what makes me positive there is we're talking about ordering more than a thousand of chips for a couple of months. That's like less than 100 actors, probably less than 30 actors in the world who are like doing this, right? We have training ones where we talk about the cost within the single digit millions here. And is it then possible to enforce this? I think eventually we just like maybe started voluntary. And I think a bunch of AAGI labs would eventually sign up to this because they've like currently they show some interest in like, hey, we want to be responsible. Here's a good way of doing it. And one way of enforcing it, just like via the cloud providers, right? And then I don't need to talk to all the AGI labs. I only need to talk to all the compute providers. I want to some degree a registry of everybody who has more than 5,000 chips sitting somewhere and then knowing who's using a lot of these chips and maybe for what. You could imagine this in the beginning maybe being voluntary, maybe later than for us being by these cloud providers. But of course, many open questions regarding how you eventually enforce this, in particular getting these insights, right? How cloud providers are built around the notion that they don't know what you're doing on their compute. That's the reason why, for example, Netflix is not having their own data centers. They're using it from Amazon, from Amazon Web Services, even though Amazon with Amazon Prime is a direct competitor. But they're just like, yeah, we can just do this because you, you don't have any insights into this workload anyways because we believe in encryption, right? And Amazon's like, yeah, seems good. We like we'd, we have this economy of scale. Please use our compute. Um, same with Apple. They just use a bunch of data centers from Amazon and others, even though they are direct competition with them. So there's like little insight there. The only insight you eventually have is like how many chips for how many hours because that's how you build them. And I think this already gets you like a long way. How big an issue would it be that you know if, if the US puts in place rules like this, you just go overseas and train your and train your model somewhere else? Yeah. But maybe the export controls could just like make sure that these chips never go overseas or don't only don't go in countries where we don't trust that people will force this. This is another way how we can think about it. Just like maybe the chips only go to like allies of the US where they eventually also can enforce these controls, right? And then US can enforce this, particularly with all of the allies within the semiconductor supply chain to just make sure like, well, we have these new rules. How are we going to use AGI ship with, uh, AI chips responsible? And you, you only get these chips if you follow these rules. That's one way of going about it. Otherwise, the chips are not going to go there. Safe havens of AI compute. I think it's a key thing which I'm sometimes doing when I talk to policymakers. They just always love hardware. It's like, great, it's just going to work. I was like, nah, no, like, actually, like, stuff is not secure. Like, oh, this is like, like, have you seen the state of like cybersecurity? Yeah, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. Right? <laughs> right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, that an iPhone is as secure as it is right now. Like, this is years of work. And I think there's probably right now an exploit out there for listening on iPhone conversations, but it just costs you 100 million. So you only do it for like literally like, yeah, really big targets and not the random hack on the street does it. I think it's really important whenever you need to reinvent the wheel regarding security. Just don't do it. Like there, there's this thing, never roll your own crypto. Just don't do it. Use existing libraries. Never roll your own crypto. Use existing libraries to do this kind of stuff. And I think the same here. I mostly want to use existing mechanisms. I think there's still some research to be done. And this is part of the reason why we want to roll it out as fast as possible. And like another way how to think about this, a lot of these mechanisms rely on, well, you can hack them because you have physical access to a compute. Right. We, we have not talked about it like a lot yet, but compute does not need to sit under your desk to use it. You can just use cloud computing. You can just like, I can right now access any computer in the world if people wanted me to. So, and this is maybe useful. 
if I implement something which is in hardware and you need to physically tamper with the hardware, you can't. You're only accessing it virtually, right? And even if you would tamper with it via software, guess what? After your rental contract runs out, we're just going to reset the whole hardware. We reflash the firmware. We check, like, we have some integrity checks. And then here we go. Here we are again. So maybe, maybe to build on top of this is we previously talked about the semiconductor supply chain. People should think about the compute supply chain, which goes one step further. At some point, your chips go somewhere. And the chips, most of the time, sit in large data centers owned by big cloud providers, right? So, like, we definitely see most AI labs right now are either a cloud provider or they partner with a cloud provider. And so if we then think about choke points, guess what? Cloud is another choke point. Like, this is a really nice way to restricting access because I right now can give you access. You can use it. And if you start doing dangerous shit or, like, I'm, like, I'm getting worried about it, I can just cut it off any single time. This is not the same with hardware. Once a chip left the country and it's going somewhere, I'm having a way harder time. So maybe the thing you want to build there is like some safe havens of AI compute where you enable these mechanisms we just talked about there. You can be way more sure they actually work. And even if somebody misuses it, as a minimum, you can then cut off the access, right, for these kinds of things. So like the general move towards cloud computing, which I think is happening anyways because just of the economy of scale, is probably favorable from a governance point of view, where you can just intervene and make sure this is used in more, yeah, in a more responsible manner. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, th- this is kind of an, an exciting and interesting point that people currently, or many organizations currently, have physical custody of the chips that they're using for computing purposes. If we came to think that any aggregation of significant amounts of compute was just inherently very dangerous for humanity, then you could have a central repository where only an extremely trusted group had custody. I guess it, will, it probably would be some combination of a company that's running this and the government also over, overseeing it. I suppose, as you might get with, uh, I suppose, private contractors who are producing nuclear missiles <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. And then you could basically provide compute to everyone who wants it. And I suppose for civil liberties reasons, you would maybe want to have some restrictions on the amount of oversight uh, that that you're getting, but you'd have some balancing act here between wanting to not intervene on what people can do on computers, but also needing to monitor to to detect dangerous things that Mm -hmm. could be be quite a challenging uh, balancing act. But basically, it is in principle possible in the long term to prevent large numbers of groups from having physical custody of enormous numbers of chips because, and indeed it might be more economical for most people, uh, for most good actors, to not have physical custody anyway. Uh, that they, they would rather do it through a cloud computing provider, which then creates a very clear node where probably these hardware-enabled mechanisms really could flourish uh, because it would be so much harder to tamper with them. Yeah, yeah. maybe maybe you don't even need them there because you just have like somebody who's running it. But um, And just we definitely see like a strong pivot towards the cloud, right? Yeah. And now AI Lab is having the AI servers they eventually need in a basement to run these systems. They're sitting elsewhere. They're sitting somewhere close to a bunch of power, a bunch of water to run these systems. And if you could just make these facilities more secure on Drake, run them responsible, I think this might be just like a pretty exciting point to go to. You could even think about the most extreme example as a compute bank, right? We had a similar idea with nuclear fuel. Let's just build a nuclear fuel bank and here we just have a compute bank. There's like a bunch of data centers in the world. We manage them internationally via a new agency and it's just like we manage access to this. And maybe again here, we mostly want to then talk about the frontier AI systems, like the big, big, big systems. You eventually then just like, uh, yeah, want to make sure I developed in a responsible and safe manner there. Are we doomed to become irrelevant? So, what are we going to do? And you were starting to raise this this issue of offense-defense balance. We were saying, well, maybe this compute stuff is not going to cut it forever. Now we need to start thinking about a different approach. And that approach might be that, sure, 
the amateur on their home computer or the small business uh, might be able to train quite powerful models. But we should still expect that enormous internet giants like uh, Google or authorities like the US government should have substantially better models. Even if it's impressive what like what I can access on my home computer, there's no way that I'm going to have access to the best by any stretch of the imagination. So how can what might we make things safer on a more sustainable basis? Perhaps what we need is to use that advantage that the large players, uh, hopefully the more legitimate and hopefully the uh, well-intentioned players have in order to monitor what everyone else is doing or find some way to protect against the harmful effects mm-hmm. that you might get from mass proliferation to, to everyone. Yeah. This, this sounds, this sounds uh, well, maybe this does sound cra- crazy to people or may- maybe it doesn't, but I, I feel like what we're really talking about here is having models that are constantly vigilant. They're like, I, I guess I, I've been using the term like sentinel AIs that are monitoring everything that's happening on the internet and can spring into action whenever they notice that someone, whether it be an idiot or a joker or a terrorist or uh, another state or a hostile state or something, is beginning to do something really bad with, with their AIs and prevent it. Uh, hopefully relying on the fact that the cutting edge model that the US government has is like far above uh, what, what it's going to be competing with. This is a world, Lennart, in which <laughs> humans are these kind of irrelevant, like fleshy things that uh-huh. can't, can't possibly comprehend the speed at which these AI combatants are acting. They just have this autonomous, like, standoff slash war with one another across the earth. <laughs> yeah, while, while <laughs> yeah. we watch on, and, while, while we watch on and uh-huh. hope. That the good guys win, it, or that they decide that our team wins. Out. Okay, yeah. I, sorry, uh, yeah, that was an extremely long comment for me. But <laughs> am I understanding this right? Um, I mean, we are speculating here about the future. So are we right? I don't know. I think we're like we're pointing to like a scenario which eventually we we can imagine, right? And I'm having a hard time telling you the exact answers to just like like particularly just like AI governance on my research is like stop access for forever or something. I think that's like a really high burden. To eventually to fulfill. What I'm just pointing out to is like, well, we have this excess effect, but we need to think about the defense capabilities here. In particular, if you think about regulating the frontier, and I think this is part of what makes me a bit more optimistic. Maybe you've just described one scenario as like, well, we have like these AI defender systems and fighting, they're just doing everything. Yeah, maybe this works well, and we just we can just enjoy each other, right? And like having a good time, and it seems great. <laughs> um, but maybe it's also just like more manual. I think it's not really clear to me. But I think the other aspect to keep in mind here is. We're talking about you, like, let's just say this is GPT-6 system, everybody can train it, whatever, this future system. Maybe the system is, again, not dangerous. Maybe there's just, like, going to be, like, a change in the game. Is like, again, where we talk about from this 89% to this 90% or something along these lines, which is, like, makes a big difference in capabilities, right? But, like, this then eventually gives the defender, like, a big advantage there. Maybe people even don't have an interest in using all of these systems. Because the other systems are just way better, right? We're not thinking about like, well, exactly about malicious actors who are trying to do this. I would expect the majority of people not wanting to do this, right? Those are problems you already have right now where like people can just buy guns. Yeah, and like this goes wrong a lot of times, but like it could just be, it's not like every second person in the world wants to buy guns and like do terrible things with it. Maybe that's the same with these kinds of futures. Maybe then these defender systems are just sufficient to eventually fight these kinds of things off, in particular if you have like maybe good compute monitoring, just in da- general data center monitoring regimes in place there. What's important here to think about is just like compute has been doubling every six months. This might not continue forever. This might continue for a long time. And all the other aspects which has basically reduced the compute threshold have not been growing that fast, right? So 
we like again all i'm saying is like it buys us a couple of more years right like more than is 10 20 30 like maybe that's what i'm pointing to but overall what we're trying to with ai governance to do is like yeah AI is coming. This might be a really, really big deal. It will probably be a really big deal. And we need to go there in a sane, sensible, well-managed way with these institutions. And like many open questions, as you just like outlined, where we don't have the answers yet. We don't even know if this is going to be the case, but we can imagine this being the case. Yeah. And we, yeah, we just need the systems in place to deal with this. Rob's computer security, bad dreams. So... We've been talking a little bit about like my nightmares and my bad dreams and like where Rob's imagination goes when he imagines how this is all going to play out. Maybe let, let's talk about another one of these that I've been mulling over uh, recently as I've been reading a lot about AI and seeing what capabilities are, are coming online. Uh, this time, a bit more related to computer security specifically. So, the question is if GPT 6 or some future um, model that is, I guess, more agentic than, than GPT 4 is. If it were instructed to hack into as many servers as possible and then use the new compute that's available to it from having done that to run more copies of itself that also then need to hack into other computer systems and uh, maybe train themselves in a one direction or another or find new security, like use that compute to find new security vulnerabilities that they can then use to break into other sources of compute and so on, uh, on and on and on. How much success do you think it might have? Um, I think it's definitely a worry which a bunch of people talk about, right? Just like, as I just like hinted before, it's like, I think computer security is definitely not great. I do think computer security at data centers is probably better than at other places. And I feel optimistic about detecting it. It might be a cat and mouse game here, but like eventually you can detect it. Why is this the case? Well, every server only has like finite throughput. That, that's just the case. As we just talked about, like there's only that many flops per second which can be run. So there's like a limit to the number of copies that can run there. And... Well, data centers are trying to like utilize a computer as efficiently as possible, right? Like right now, you can expect like most data centers run at least at 80% utilization or something because always just like throwing money out of the window. Nobody wants to do this. So if this GPT-6 system, right, this, this bad worm comes along and just like hacks into the system, there's only that much compute available, which you eventually can use. Then it's like a bit tricky because like there is a bit, there is a bit, like oh, it's kind of, kind of like a scheduling problem. Well, and if it would like, like, let's say, kick the other workloads out, well, somebody would notice. Like, well, like I was, I was running the science experiment, like this never really finished. What's going on there? And data centers are already doing this, like monitoring for this. I think the best example we've already seen in the real world is like these whole um, malwares where like people, personal computers were used for crypto mining. It's like, oh, this malware is just running on your computer and then they try to use your processor to mine crypto like for this hacker's personal wallet to like to get more money. And people started noticing this. Most people were like, well, my computer's bit slower than normally, right? So people try to modify this algorithm. It's like, oh, it's just only using 20% of the capability of the processing performance. So you're not detected. Um, but if you actually go for throttle, you just, <laughs> like, I don't know, literally your, your laptop fan would turn on. You're just like, what's going on there? Like, if people just see their laptop, sometimes utilization going up to 100% without them doing anything, be suspicious. Probably should reset this reset this thing. And I think it's the same for data centers. Where it's like, oh, there is a computer worm here. They're doing something. Uh, let's try to kick it out. And then you can imagine a cat and mouse game, which might be a bit more complicated. And maybe this is part of the reason why you maybe I'm advocating for the thing which no data center provider wants, which is like a big red off switch. I was like, okay, maybe actually want this because normally you're trying to optimize uptime because yeah, that's what you want to go for as a data center provider. They definitely have different tiers there. It's like, yeah, you're the highest uptime, you're, you're, the, you're the coolest data center out there. 
Um, and here we just want like, okay, gosh, we literally lost control here. Let me just turn off all of the things. Maybe like on a virtual or software level, like turning off virtual machines is not sufficient because it's like a really sophisticated computer where it's already trying to escape. You literally want to just like turn off the compute and like figuring out and have forensic what's been going on there and trying to defend it. What we eventually exploit there is existing security bugs and holes and usually fix them. If we just figure out what they are, this takes a little bit of time. But at least compared to AI systems, we have some clue. We at least develop these systems and like in a in a way how we understand them, so we can try to fix it. Yeah, yeah. Just to add a bit more color to, to this scenario, I think I probably misspoke when I said if GPT six were instructed to do this, because it would be much more sensible to have a, a model that's extremely specialized at hacking into all kinds of computer systems, which is yeah. a much narrower task than being able to deal with any input and output of of, mm-hmm. of language whatsoever. So it probably would be uh, quite specialized. Why do we need such small transistors? One thing I don't quite understand is a chip on a phone, you really need it to be very small, to have a lot mm-hmm. of transistors in a tiny amount of space and to use very little power. But if you're running a supercomputer, you don't really care about the physical footprint that much. You can, you can stick it out of town. You can stick it in a basement. You can spread it out. So why, if you're trying to create a lot of compute in order to train these models. Uh, why do you need the transistors to be so small? Why can't you just make them bigger, but just make a hell of a lot of mm. them? Yeah, so smaller transistors are just more energy efficient. Oh, so basically, okay. if we go back, basically the, the flop per watt, right, goes down over time. And just like energy costs are just a big part of the cost. It's just like this enables you to just like eventually go cheaper. And you cannot just like make these chips go faster because you produce less heat. Cooling is a big thing when we talk about the chips. The reason why your smartphone is like running not that fast is just like, well, it's only passively cooled. Right? And this, this like, yeah, eventually takes a big hit to the performance there. And another thing to think about there is, well, when we then have all of these chips and we want to hook them up, it just matters how long the cables are. We're not talking about like hooking something up to like, I don't know, like to do your home internet printer, connection for one yeah, gigabit yeah. or something. We're talking about just like we want high interconnect bandwidth. We want high bandwidth zones. We literally want these things as close as possible to each other. And there are just limits to like how long you can run these cables. This is part of the reason why people are really interested in like optical fiber. Because, well, yeah, you don't have that much loss over longer cables, right? But then you have like oh, all of these other nodes, like, well, you need to, like, you need to turn the optical signal into electronic signal, just like, it's an ongoing Perhaps, research domain, yeah. but people are definitely interested in this, just like building a bigger footprint there because then you also have like less heat per area. Like this, this whole notion about data centers, like really important to think about also from a governance angle. I think that's like a big topic yeah. in the future. People, yeah, should think carefully about this and see what we can do there and also just how we can detect it. It's like, if we talk about advanced AI systems, we're not talking about your GP at home. We're talking about supercomputers. We're talking about facilities, like AI production labs, whatever you want to call them. And there's like lots to learn there. The field of compute governance needs people with technical expertise. For compute governance, we definitely need more technical expertise. Um, I think that's just a big thing. I think that's also like the biggest part where I've been able to contribute, just like as somebody who's just like, yeah, study this like computer engineering a bit and just like have some idea how like the stack eventually works. Within compute governance, we have like really technical questions where you can just like, yeah, it's like pretty similar to doing a PhD with just like, what do you actually work on important stuff? And then we also have like the whole strategy and policy aspect, which is like maybe more across the stairs. On the technical questions, I think I've 
I think we've pointed out a bunch of them <laughs> during this conversation. It's like, here's a bunch of things. What about proof of learning, proof of non-learning? How can we have like certain assurances? Which mechanisms can we apply? How can we make data centers more safe? How can we defend against this, all these cyber things we've just discussed? There's like a whole notion of things you can do there. And also there, there are some questions where we need like computer engineers on. There are some questions which are more like software engineering type. And a bunch of them is like overlap from information security. How can you make these systems safe and secure? Also, if you implement these mechanisms, and I think a bunch of stuff is also just like cryptography, just like people think about these proofs of learning and all, the, all these aspects there. Like, so, so, yeah, software engineers, hardware engineers, everybody across the stack feel encouraged to work on this kind of thing. The, the general notion which I'm trying to get across, like, <laughs> like up a year ago, I think people were not really aware of AI governance. So like a lot of technical folks were like, oh, surely I'm just going to try to align these systems. I'm like, sure, this seems great. I'm counting on you guys. <laughs> I need you. Um, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there, there's also this whole AI governance angle and we're just lacking technical talent. This is the case in think tanks. This is the case in governments. This is the case in like the, within the labs, within their governance teams, there's just like a deep need for these kinds of people and they can contribute like a lot, in particular if you have expertise in these kinds of things. You, you just always need to like figure out like, okay, what can I contribute? Maybe become a bit agnostic about your field or something. Like if you've been previously a compiler engineer, sorry, you're not going to com- like engineer compilers. That's not going to be the thing. But you learn some things. You like, you know how you go from software to hardware. You might be able to contribute. I think, for example, a compiler engineer right now and others across the stack could just help right now, for example, with chip export controls, like figuring out better ideas and better strategies there. So like, Variety of things, but like I'm, I'm just all for technical people considering governance, and this is to a large, atta- like large extent, um, also a personal fit consideration, right? And like, if you like more like the people person, sure, go into policy. You're gonna talk to a lot of folks. If you're more like of the researchy person, you ever want to be alone, sure, you cannot just do like deep down research there. You're not gonna solve the Lyme problem itself, but you're gonna invent mechanisms which just like enable us to coordinate and buy us more time, like yeah, to like make this whole AI thing like in a safe and sane way. Mm-hmm.